Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Adult Rocker, At this very moment, you are six years behind me. It somehow seems like much, much longer. Traveling seems like a distant memory. And I know to you, it seems like you've been waiting an eternity for this. Your first trip overseas. You've finally gone on some smaller adventures, but this is what you've been waiting for. Remember how desperately you dreamed about studying abroad as an undergrad, but your parents just didn't think it was safe and wouldn't agree to let you go? Well, since then, I know that dream hasn't died, and you've satisfied some of your wild urges to run away with some music festival road trips, down to Bonnaroo in Tennessee and up to Oceaga in Montreal. That little Suzuki of yours, which you still have, by the way, has seen some real miles and will go on many more road trips yet. But road trips won't do it for you, because you still long to see what it feels like to be on the other side of the ocean. I will tell you that it is definitely going to be different than your daydreams. Simultaneously much more normal feeling, and yet so different in other strange little ways you couldn't have expected, such as pizza always being served with this vinegary coleslaw in a bag called pizza salad, and much better designed public bathrooms. Why can't we have stalls with no gaps on the bottom or the sides? Oh, and buses that leave at the exact minute they say they will on the schedule is a pretty cool thing. And you will learn about the differences in people, that when you get down to the core, past the languages and the customs, they really are the same everywhere. They are real humans over there, not avatars living in your imagination of the continent of Europe. And you will learn the biggest lesson of any young adult's first big solo trip, that you are the same everywhere you go. Your anxieties and issues will eventually catch up to you, no matter how far you travel, and you will have to stop blaming them on your situation and surroundings. I honestly don't know how you would have gotten that message without going abroad. This trip means a lot. Have fun, my friend. As I knock on the locked glass doors in front of me, I can see some details of the man approaching me from behind in the reflection on the glass. White patent leather loafers, bright paisley shirt unbuttoned to reveal a thick gold chain, shaved head. The first dark-skinned person I've seen in Sweden. I can't make out his facial features in the reflection. I don't turn around. Just keep pressing the doorbell with my gaze on his white shoes. Soon, three other pairs of male feet join his in a semicircle behind me. 
The first man leans in so close to my back that I can feel his body heat. I am too scared to turn around. Come on, Anna, look at your phone and open the door, I inwardly beg as I try to appear outwardly calm, as if I know the door will open any minute. But I don't. Anna could be gone. Everyone could be. It could be an hour. The man behind me reaches his arm around the right side of my body, and his fist knocks on the glass directly in front of my face. And no one home, eh? No one to let you in there, eh, pretty? He asks me in a thick, African-sounding accent. I'm simultaneously relieved and more frightened to hear that he speaks English. At least I can understand what he's saying. I gauge that it's creepy, yes, but not necessarily an immediate bodily threat. I know if I respond, he will hear my voice and know I'm American, meaning I'm a tourist meaning I could disappear for a week before my family would have any idea about it. But if I don't speak, I can pretend I don't understand English, and they'll think I'm a local Swedish girl whose disappearance would be noticed immediately. All of the YouTube videos about protecting yourself from human traffickers flash through my platinum blonde head. They tell me that I should try to signal to someone, but there's no one around, and I'm cornered. I press the bell again and hit the call button on my phone while making sure they see me do that. Sweden is turning out to be very different than I had imagined it. I think about my parents. I had assured my mom that I'd be safe over here alone. Safer in Sweden than in Boston, I said, after looking up violent crime statistics. What I hadn't told her was that the exception to the safe Swedish statistics was the city in which I was now living. Malmo definitely has some violent crime. Although Anna told me it doesn't really affect her or her friends who live here. She said the problems are mostly gang related and that other people don't really have to worry. Again, I flash back to trying to convince my mom and her saying, Sweden, as if I had made up the whole country just to annoy her about it. Why do you wanna go there? She claimed that Kasia, her Polish hairdresser, had told her that Scandinavia is boring, which seemed like a strange thing to deter me with. Wouldn't she like it less if I had chosen somewhere more exciting and dangerous? I knew she was saying it instead of the truth, that she was worried I would be abducted or taken advantage of or mugged or killed or even worse, find a Swedish husband and never come back. For the first year and a half of me planning this trip, she pretended it was just a phase I would grow out of. But here I am. Of course, my dad had to come with me for the first week of my trip. We had explored the fjords of Norway that rose like walls made by gods from the sea that shined a more intense navy blue than I had seen anywhere else. When he left me at the platform for the train I'd take to Sweden, I cried. Since I couldn't read my ticket, I couldn't find my seat, and when I chose one at random, I got yelled at by a lady with a chihuahua until a nice person showed me where coach was. And now I try to remember how nice Norway was so that I can have something good in my head as I wait to be grabbed from behind. 
I'm sad as I think about leaving my dad forever, but angry at my mom. It's like she had caused this to happen with her worry and negativity. Like I would have been fine had she been supportive like all of my friend's parents who let them go to South America and Spain and Germany in college when they were much younger than me now. Why does she have to be right about this? After another tense minute of the men looking at me like a zoo creature in a cage, they seem to grow bored and start walking away. They get into their van and drive off. Before I've even caught my breath, Anna and all of the young campers come smiling around the corner and let me in the building. The men seem to have disappeared into thin air. And as I try to clumsily explain what just happened, the memory feels as surreal as a nightmare I just woke up from. I'm sitting cross-legged outside on the asphalt, under the weak Swedish summer sun that makes Anna's long hair shine Goldilocks gold and Holly's dyed red hair glow an electric orange next to her white skin. They're both holding guitars. Anna is teaching Holly how to write a guitar solo. Anna, who always seems to glow gold, is the reason I'm in Sweden. She's the director of the Pop Colo camp here in Malmo, and Holly is a teenage camper. Pop Colo is the Swedish equivalent of Girls Rock Camp, and part of the same organization as the one I volunteered at in Boston, although there are differences. For instance, there are no volunteers here. Everyone is paid for their time with grant money from the government. Because their government cares about helping kids get into the arts. Anna told me you can even get money for your band to buy amps and stuff for tour from the same government organization. Sweden sure is different. Anna shows Holly how to find the right scale to use for her solo. Okay, so your band's song is in G. She hums the chords to herself to check. (laughs) Okay, yes, G, so we put our finger on a G. Holly looks down and finds a third fret on the E string. Anna tells her there are three other G's, higher ones, and she helps Holly to find another one. She does so quickly. Here, Holly asks in her soft British accent that makes even this single word sound musical to me. Anna lights up. Precis? Ah, perfect. Okay, now we will do a pentatonic scale. She looks at me to make sure she said the word correctly in English, even though she's always spot on. I like Anna's accent in English because it has the same comforting directness of tone as when she talks in Swedish. I like seeing how a personality can transcend languages. Though English is heavier. Swedish usually sounds light and slippery to me, like there aren't any actual syllables. And it makes it hard for me to pay attention when the camp counselors talk for extended periods of time. I tried to learn some Swedish before coming here, but I'm too shy to try it out with anyone. And the only thing I can remember how to say is, I would please like something to drink. Not super helpful. It's a relief to be sitting with two people who are fluent and comfortable speaking English. Holly is actually more comfortable with English than Swedish, since her dad is British. 
On the first day of camp, someone told me Holly was German because she came here from there. So I didn't approach her. Now that I know she speaks English and, like me, is self-conscious of her Swedish and has an accent I could listen to for hours, I want to grab her and tell her she has to be my best friend. I've been feeling isolated for a couple of weeks now because of the language barrier. The camp is mostly conducted in Swedish. Sometimes the counselors will speak English for a simple game or an exercise or... If I'm with a group of older girls that are comfortable in English, they will switch for me. But the hours-long discussions of music and feminism, and often the small talk between counselors, is all in Swedish. I can concentrate for maybe a few minutes and pick out some of the words I know, especially as the activities here are almost exactly the same as at home with girls' rock camp. But eventually it all becomes a slippery Swedish blur of My own thoughts grow louder than the conversation, and eventually I start feeling like the uncool kid at the party. The one who is being excluded through the popular's use of their own special language of inside jokes that I'll never be cool enough to get, even though they aren't doing it intentionally and it's all coming from my insecurity. Jokes are the worst. Being the silent one in a room full of people laughing enough times has gotten to me. Even having expected this, coming to a country where I can barely put together enough words to get around or feed myself. I have flashbacks to eating lunch alone in high school, anger at classmates not talking to me, anger at myself for wanting social contact but not doing anything to get it. And so sometimes when I've had my fill of Swedish, I feel myself start to tear up as a sharp point of a migraine hits the top middle of my skull and trails around my head until I'm veiled in pain and that old steam comes back to haunt me. That lonely, angry little kid still inside me wakes up and I have to go into an empty room alone and lie down with something over my face to smother it. I get overstimulated so easily here. Funny how feeling isolated leads me to isolating myself even further. So sitting here outside with Holly and Anna, talking about guitar playing in English makes my head feel clearer than it has all week. I look at Holly's orangish hair. She reminds me of myself as a young teenager. Always quiet. Of course, some of that has to do with her being new to speaking Swedish, but after all, some of the Swedish girls will come up and talk my ear off in English without too much worry about saying things incorrectly. One camper, a tall, athletic, and very sweet girl, was even bold enough to tell me she has a crush on me and gave me a pin button she made from a cutout in a magazine that says, Du er so fin, you are so fine. I gave her a hug and told her, crushes are a nice thing, thank you. Holly, though, I hadn't seen approach any counselors or other campers. On the first day of camp, we had done this activity that Anna had translated for me as music forever in which the counselors get up on stage and play a song together 
and then let the campers come up and take the instruments from us and continue playing it over and over and over. I felt giddy as I strapped on an electric guitar and adjusted the amp. My first time on a stage in front of other people in a long time since I stopped playing with Phil. The Boulder campers jumped right up on the stage and took from us guitars, drumsticks, bass, the microphone, the keyboards. Some kids, like Holly, were hesitant to get up there, so we handed them small percussion instruments like tambourines. Holly was given a maraca. I jumped up on one of the tables in front of the stage and screamed along to the song we were playing, Katy Perry's Roar. Violently headbanging to the rhythm, making a fool of myself in hopes that it would encourage the kids to feel less self-conscious. But when I looked up at Holly's sad expression and saw her slowly, miserably shaking her yellow maraca at random times with no attempt at a rhythm, I almost wanted to stop dancing. I wanted to yell at the rest of the group. Stop. This is embarrassing for some people. I wanted to grab Holly and tell her, you don't have to be cool. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. All these Swedes are just dorks. As I sit watching Anna and Holly now, I realize I'm actually learning something about guitar solos myself. I've always just tried to hit random notes until I find ones that sound good and keep doing those over and over. But the way Anna is showing Holly how to start with the basic notes and the chords inspires me to want to try it too. It seems so easy and unintimidating the way Anna moves her tan fingers around the guitar neck. Her teaching style is clearly effective. Holly keeps her eyes on her teacher and then goes right into trying a solo herself as Anna plays the chords for her to practice over. At the Boston camp, we aren't supposed to pick up instruments so that we don't intimidate the campers, but this seems to be working pretty well. In the songwriting workshop, I saw Anna have the littler kids make up their own goofy little doot-dee-doot-doot-doot type melodies on a keyboard. She then took those melodies and sang them in her beautiful alto voice while playing flowing piano chords underneath and I watched as the campers' eyes lit up, realizing the potential their creations have and absorbing the musical confidence that Anna radiated. It made me feel what I had started to feel at the Boston Girls Rock Camp, that I can write amazing songs if I want to, too. I had said no to my new Swedish girlfriends about a hundred times at the bar, then again in the taxi on the way to the beach, and finally on the long walk out along the brigga, the pier, to the water. And yet here I am, peeling off my sweater and sneakers and jeans. It's only been 52 degrees Fahrenheit today, and my toes are already cold inside my sneakers. But... When I look at the giant, full, silver moon making sparkles on the water, I feel a physical pull deep in the ancient female part of me that's connected to the lunar cycle somehow. 
The moon makes it feel like the most natural and inevitable thing in the world for me to be getting naked with a group of women and submerging ourselves in the Swedish sea at midnight. I didn't think I'd be able to make myself do it, but with a primal witchy shriek, I finally lower myself down the freezing aluminum stairs into the liquid silver. It's that siren-like quality of Anna's confidence that got me here. God, I wish I could be like her, I think. I lean back and let my legs float up to the surface. As I float, I stare at the huge moon. I swear the moonlight feels warm on my body. Anna is like the sun, I think. But me? I'm the moon. I breathe out slowly, and at the end of my breath, hear the male voices coming toward us down the briga. We all start splashing toward the stairs, giggling the whole way. We're walking along as one big group of counselors and campers down the wide, treeless streets of Malmö, a city of concrete and asphalt. There are some small hidden neighborhoods with wooden houses, but the wide main roads are entirely filled with these mostly gray, three-story concrete block apartment buildings that look like warehouses. It's the kind of thing I imagined being in the Czech Republic, but not Sweden. The other end of the city where I've explored on my day off has the classic European-wide shopping street with cafes and the requisite small castle and pretty ponds full of swans and ducks and geese that all look just like the ones back home with slightly different markings and noises. But we're not near there. We walk past the burned-out car and the spots where people have told me shootings have happened. A fluffy-haired girl who didn't participate when I led a session of punk rock aerobics earlier this morning is in our group. She is not wearing any shoes. I can't help but stare at her feet and scan the pavement in front of them as we go along. I've seen at least a few smashed bottles on the streets around here so I feel tense watching this. But unlike what would certainly happen at any American camp, no grown-up said anything or threatened to leave her behind for the field trip if she didn't put her shoes on. She's wearing nothing but a sports bra top and tiny spandex shorts. It's only maybe 65 degrees out. As we pass groups of men, I feel my shoulders scrunch and I cringe inwardly for her, imagining the dirty thoughts they're directing her way. I guess she's lucky she doesn't feel that attention so viscerally like I do, and I want her to own herself, but I can't help feeling weird. I've been catcalled a few times myself here, but I don't think they'll do it to our big group. This camper and her friend have used neon-colored paint markers to decorate their exposed bellies and legs. F-U-C-K is written on both of them in huge letters on multiple body parts, including their cheeks. 
At first, I thought the swears were the worst part of it. If this were Boston, I know they'd be forced to wash it off. But I've been learning that the F word is treated a little differently in Sweden. It is just part of a foreign language after all. We take a route that avoids walking by what they call the drug circle around here, a traffic circle island known for being inhabited by dealers and users. When we get into Folkets Park, we move through the crowd and I keep my eyes on the graffitied girls for creepy reactions from guys, feeling protective of these kids. I see a few heads turn, but don't hear any words directed at them, as far as I can tell with my limited Swedish. We find a spot with a decent ratio of clumps of grass to dirt on the lawn in front of the stage. Around us are groups of friends and families, drinking beer and picnicking. People with punk haircuts next to guys in business casual dress, plus hip teenagers, babies, and grandparents. Everybody loves All Song, I've been told. It's apparently a national entertainment treasure, and I'm eager to experience it. A woman in a sequin tutu and enormous bright red wig comes on the stage at the end of the park and starts talking in Swedish. She is saying something about some crossword puzzle that the audience can fill out to win prizes. I have learned that Swedes adore crosswords and word searches. They buy giant books of them in the supermarket. But it's not just the occasional old lady filling them in. It's a legitimate hobby for people of all ages. Every friend's apartment I've entered has had a few of them lying around. I don't really get what's going on on the stage, but one of the little girls, who's always very excited to speak English to me, crawls over on all fours. She's so cute a bubbly little blonde with super thick glasses. She fills me in on the crossword clues the host is giving and the obvious answers. They make it easy for little kids, she explains to me. When the crossword stuff is over, the woman on the stage in the insane outfit counts off for the all-female band behind her to start playing. Anna informs me that the drummer is a friend and is currently eight months pregnant. The band plays some Swedish-language pop classics I, of course, have not heard. But they all sound like slightly different versions of the songs you hear on the radio in the U.S. all the time. Some are even in English. It's fairly cheesy. I look around and can hardly find a person in the crowd of any age or style, not clapping and singing along, even as the sky grows gray and misty rain falls on us. I'm amazed that the hipster and punk-looking people seem to be digging this completely unironically. The communal dorkiness of Swedes melts my heart. It really is a different society here. Round women in layers of ragged sweaters and skirts come up to us every few minutes holding their hands out to all of us, even the young children. They're asking for money or pent, empty cans to recycle for change. I follow the lead of the other counselors each time, saying sorry, and turn my attention back to the music. I think of the Tinder date I went on to a cafe, 
and how one of these women came right in, went all the way to the back of the cafe where we were seated, and asked us for change. My date was the tallest human I have ever encountered in my life at close to seven feet. He gave her a few coins. Like my other dates, without having a sense of humor in common and no understanding of sarcasm on the other side of the table, we didn't really click and it didn't go anywhere. No Scandinavian husband for me. Sweden is different. I had expected this feminist social equality utopia, and instead I've encountered a heartbreaking poverty on par with the cities of the west coast of the US. I try to go back to watching the all song as the women moving through the crowd are ignored and maybe given an empty can here or there. I stand up and join some of the camp kids in front and start dancing with them when a song I recognize starts playing, Body Talk by Tove Lo. My little English helper tells me, you guys in America probably say her name Tove Lo, but it's really Tuve Yeah, that was how I said her name. Thank you, I tell her, Tuvalu. As I look around at the dozens of tiny children running around and grandmas sitting in walkers, I wonder how the singer will handle singing this song. It's a good one, but it's pretty sexually explicit. I start to shudder in anticipation as the singer gets to the chorus. Talking bodies, you got a perfect one, so put it on me. Swear it won't take you long. I take a breath, wondering how she'll alter the next line. But she doesn't. If you love me right, we'll fuck for life. On and on and on. I couldn't have heard that right, I tell myself. She must have cleverly put another word in there that just sounded like the F-bomb, right? I pay extra attention the second time the chorus comes. As grannies clap and smile and toddlers wave at the stage, the singer once again sings without hesitation, We Will Fuck For Life. So, this is all song. Hmm, I think. As I move toward the stage to jump around and sing along to the end of the song with the campers who are dancing wildly. In my peripheral vision, I see Holly jumping and singing right beside me. My alarm goes off on my iPad next to me. It's 4 a.m., and I only laid down in this bed at 2.30. Sana is asleep beside me. She was the cook at the Pop Callo and is now my friend and travel buddy on this last mini-adventure before my trek home, which I am reluctantly beginning now. Thinking about the entire trip ahead of me seems impossible. 21 hours of travel with almost no sleep beforehand. So I try to mindfully focus on one step at a time. I pick up my bag, put on four layers of t-shirts and my one hoodie and thin scarf that started to smell, and grab my white early 90s Nike high tops I got from a Malmo thrift store. 
My shoes are still cold and wet from last night, and I slide my also cold and wet feet into them. I note again to myself that if I come back to Scandinavia in the summer, I better bring rain boots and heavy sweaters. I hug Sana goodbye. She's been so kind to me, offering me a place to sleep on her couch and showing me around and finally coming on this last little trip. Everyone I've met has been so hospitable, and I am proud of myself for actually asking for help when I needed it. I go down the creaky stairs of the old wooden house and out into the middle of the wet street. I still have the urge to look back over my shoulder for cars as I walk along the little road, even though the people on this tiny island only get around on bikes and scooters. No cars allowed. I think back to the music festival last night that we walked to from the Little Island Hopper Ferry. I took pictures of Sana and our red-haired Dutch Airbnb host spinning around in their rain ponchos on the world's greenest grass next to the rocky water's edge. The colors in Sweden seem brighter. Something about the angle of the sun at this latitude or something is different. I breathe in the air because I want to remember forever how Sweden smells. The sea air somehow has a slightly foreign aroma, and the pavement and the dirt and the flowers just seem lighter and nicer. Although it could all be in my head. I walk past the island's one little store slash post office and the orangey red houses with white trim and think of the fishing shacks I saw in Norway on the train ride with my dad. I think of how Swedes constantly refer to things as musik, meaning cozy. They've really nailed that aesthetic. I sit down on the one little bench for the ferry, which I know will arrive exactly on time, as will the train I will get on in Gothenburg after this, and the next connecting train to Copenhagen, and then the flight to Iceland, and hopefully the flights from there to New York, in New York to Boston, and then the final one-hour train to Worcester, where my mom will pick me up and drive me home. At that point, it will be tomorrow afternoon, even though today has only barely started. I worry I'll fall asleep and miss one of the connections or misread one of the train station or airport signs that aren't in English. I worry so hard that I don't sleep on any of the trains or flights. Instead, I just see and feel images swim past my face. The crown I made out of wildflowers I plucked for midsummer that I spent at Anna's family's rustic vacation cottage, which had an actual outhouse, and the cake we made of salmon paste and cream cheese and vegetables. The incredible Swedish sun turning the city of Malmo a flaming gold and shimmering on the eternally wet pavement. The beautiful faces of the kids at the camp looking at me like a wild animal because I was the first American they'd ever met. The endless plates of shrimp and smoked salmon and floral pattern waffles with lingonberry in the cafes I loitered in and doodled in my notebook instead of writing anything useful. The exceptionally blonde men I went on dates with who wouldn't look me in the eyes. The chocolate hash cupcake I had in Copenhagen's Christiana, sitting with friends I had only met that day in my hostel. 
then the hottest day on record in Amsterdam, that I spent wandering around alone, waiting to see my friend whose band was there on tour. They played in an old wooden building that looked like a dollhouse for hundreds of screaming, sweating Dutch kids. And we stayed up till the morning, walking hand in hand along the canals, pretending to be a couple in love because we both felt so disconnected from everyone around us, having been in Europe for a while. I remember the half-naked child in the street at 2 a.m. who appeared right as I lost my iPhone forever. The sunsets I watched over the cliffs during my week spent alone on a different island in the tiniest, Wi-Fi-less antique hotel. The bicycle I took the train across the bridge to go by in Copenhagen and coming out of the pop cola one day to go for a bike ride because I felt depressed, only to find my tires slashed and spokes all broken for no apparent reason. It all swims in my head. When my face finally hits my childhood bedroom pillow after 48 hours without sleep, I can't even begin to actually drift off. As wrecked as my body feels, my mind is too full of experience to ever sleep again. Dear Young Adult Rocker, What more can I say to you? You've seen so much this summer. I just want you to be proud of yourself. You accepted help from strangers and you made friends with them. Two things you feel like you're incapable of. Next time you try to tell yourself that false idea you have about who you are, please remember this trip. I can hear your protests. They all start with, yeah, but... Yeah, but I was in a different country. I was in my traveling mindset I only have when I'm somewhere unfamiliar where I'm able to pay attention to everything around me because it's new and different. I know Swedish people felt like a different species, different enough that you could be open-minded toward them and assume good intent and connect. And you couldn't read their tone of voice or inflection as easily to know what they were thinking of you. I remember how you felt in your heart before going to Sweden. That things would just be different. That you'd feel at home and complete, finally. You'd be surrounded by rational but artistic Swedes who aren't pretentious and flashy and always saying one thing but really meaning another like stupid Americans do. People who know how society needs to help each other instead of being every man for himself, the big number one comes first and all that. You thought you and the Swedes would just get each other and you'd never want to come back. You'd feel at home and swaddled up by the people of your ancestry. Well, a quarter of your ancestry. That's the feeling that made you reach out to these strangers more than you ever have to anyone before keep that feeling and realize you can have it wherever you go, even if you don't go anywhere. It's not the other people. It's not the place. It's your mindset. And you need to realize that you could take that mindset to the people you meet at home. For you, whenever there's been a European exchange student around, you've felt free to talk to them. And I'm not sure you've ever really examined that until me actually doing so right this minute. 
It's because you see yourself in them. Someone who feels different and out of place and is probably hyper-aware of all the differences between them and the group of people they now inhabit. A lot of people who have trouble fitting in will gravitate to people from other places or people who have very different backgrounds. People who have trouble fitting in say they feel like they should have been born in a different decade or on a different continent or as someone else. And you really identify with that feeling. But the thing is that I bet even if you were a teenager in the 90s, let's say, or grew up in Sweden, you'd still have found a way to feel like you don't fit in. Think about that a little. Your setting is not why you feel like you never fit in. It's your brain that makes you feel that way. You have a very different kind of brain, but that's okay. Reflect on the fact that the feeling of isolation and weirdness caught up to you in Sweden as much as you loved being there and the people you met. Insecurity and past hurts and social anxiety aren't location-specific. They travel in you, and they will chase you to the ends of the earth until you confront them wherever you happen to be. Remember that. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, it's the finale of season two, and Chelsea finally realizes what the world's been trying to tell her. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. The show was written and created by me, Chelsea Erson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter, and I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me, and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think could be touched by this because that's the whole point and write a review on a podcast if you like the show because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone too thank you dear young rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and double elvis productions for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.